once again this morning to the Gospel of John and today to its final chapter. So the Gospel of John in the New Testament, chapter 21, where we'll begin reading in a few moments at verse 1 and where we'll give most of our attention to verses 14 through 22. John 21. We've been eavesdropping here in John's gospel on some one-on-ones with the master on some magnificent face-to-face encounters which various New Testament people were privileged to have with Jesus of Nazareth. And today we come at the end of John's gospel and at the end of our series to a quite famous conversation between our Lord and Simon Peter, the most outspoken of Jesus' disciples. And you may remember from a couple of weeks ago that by the time we reach John's final chapter here, Jesus, now gloriously risen from the dead, has already appeared to his disciples twice post-resurrection, on the second of which occasions he had that famous conversation that we listened in on with Doubting Thomas from a couple of Sundays back. And here is what we read next, beginning In the first verse of John 21, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord, So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, "'Bring some of the fish which you have now caught.'" Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Father, I pray now that you will speak today from this passage so that we will follow Jesus and ask in his name. Amen. We all stumble in many ways. Those words written by James in the New Testament could have been given a hearty amen by the apostle Simon, son of John, here in verse 15 who's also called Peter. We'll hear him called both today, so don't be confused. Simon, son of John, and Peter, as he's called, beginning in verse 17, are one and the same person, Simon Peter. And this Simon Peter could have amened James's statement, we all stumble in many ways, and he could have amended it heartily. Because when we read the Gospels, we most definitely find Simon Peter stumbling, don't we? He's famous, in fact, for tripping and falling in the Gospels over his own untamed tongue, over his own flapping lips. Never shall you wash my feet. Never shall I fall away. Never shall I deny you. Never shall you be killed, Jesus. How foolish Peter was. How quick to speak. And how often he stumbled in the very way that James wrote about so famously with his tongue. And of course, behind Peter's loose tongue, as is so often the case with our loose tongues, behind his loose tongue was a proud heart. And so Peter was a stumbler to be sure. And he's become famous for the sorts of rash statements that he was prone to make. But after all we've just read, there was worse yet to come for Peter, wasn't there? Because even for all the foolish things that Simon Peter said, never do we find him stumbling so badly or following so hard as in those last few hours before Jesus' crucifixion. Three times, you may remember, three times as Peter milled around on the fringes of the crowd at Jesus' quote-unquote trial before the Jewish council, three times Peter was recognized as one of Jesus' followers, and three times he flatly denied it. Matthew 26, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, you too are with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. 
And immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now here again in these three denials, Peter has sinned with his lips like he is prone to do. But also here again, the root of Peter's problem lay in his heart. In this case, he loved himself and he loved his own safety more in these moments than he loved his master. And the question is, what is Jesus going to do with him? How is Jesus going to respond to his stumbling disciple? Well, I want you to notice three things this morning. The first of which is Jesus' loyalty. Jesus' loyalty. Just think what a dagger to the heart Peter's actions must have been to his master on that night when he denied him three times. Yes, I know that Jesus knew in advance what Peter was going to do and even announced it in advance. And yes, I know that Jesus is God and that his affections therefore do not ride a roller coaster like ours sometimes do. But Jesus is also fully man. And he's the same man, remember, who wept at Lazarus' graveside, even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And if Jesus wept at Lazarus' grave, it seems to me that he must have been pained at Peter's denials too. And it wasn't just Peter either, was it? Because while Peter's denials may have been the worst of it, the other ten disciples didn't do much better, did they? For when Jesus was arrested, they all left him and fled, Mark tells us. And again, I say, surely this was painful to Jesus. Surely this must have grieved his heart. And what would you do if at the hour of your greatest need, at the hour of your most difficult trial, how would you react going forward from that point if at your greatest extremity your closest friends bailed on you? And if one of them had three times acted as if he didn't know you? Well... Would that we all had the unwavering loyalty of Jesus toward these 11 disciples. Because though they were disloyal to him in the hour of his need, Jesus is not disloyal to them, as we discover this morning. They left him, but he, on the other hand, has now come to them. They ran away, but he has now, at the end of John's gospel, come to these ones who ran away and sought them out. He has come and ministered to them who ran away when he was in trouble. And he has done so now more than once. And here he does so again in chapter 1 beside the seashore. And as we saw in verse 14, this is now the third time that Jesus has come to them. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And that's an interesting number. Peter denied Jesus three times and now Jesus has come and sought Peter out and the others as well three times. I don't know if those numbers equate purposefully but it certainly is interesting to me at least to juxtapose Peter's threefold failure with Jesus now threefold show of fidelity. As disloyal as Peter was Jesus' loyalty is equal to the task and more than equal to the task. 
And not only does Jesus come to the disciples, even though they have left him, but as we saw in the previous chapter, he stoops down and meets them in their doubts. And not only does Jesus come to Simon Peter for the third time now, even though Peter has denied him three times, but now also commensurate with the number of Peter's denials, Jesus gives Peter three opportunities to answer differently than he did before, to affirm his love for him, to own Jesus this time instead of denying him. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three denials and now three opportunities, as it were, to take them back. Jesus doesn't come accusing his fallen disciple and writing him off. He doesn't come and say, Peter, I can't believe you don't love me. So much for the plans I had for you. No, he comes rather to Peter with a question, thrice repeated and difficult for Peter to hear, as we shall see, but a question nonetheless that allows Peter to speak better than before, that allows Peter to take back his denials, that allows Peter to reaffirm his love for Jesus exactly the same number of times as he had denied him before. And that's loyalty. Now, as a brief aside, you may be aware that there are two different Greek words for love used by Jesus over the course of his threefold questioning of Peter, and sometimes a point has been made of that in terms of what it may mean that Jesus changed the word he uses for love in his third question to Peter. But I think the commentator RVG Tasker is correct to say we probably shouldn't make too much of that vocab change because he points out there are two different Greek words used in verses 15 through 17 also to describe the task of shepherding, and also two different Greek words for the sheep that are being shepherded. Plus these two Greek words for love, Tasker says, agape and phileo, or agapao and phileo, appear to be used synonymously elsewhere in John's gospel. And so the long and short of it is, Jesus asked Peter the same basic question three times over in verses 15, 16, and 17 although with more than these attached in verse 15, to which we'll return in a few moments. And though these questions, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Though these questions are pointed, and though they put their finger on Peter's sin, the very fact that Jesus is willing to come and ask them, and not simply to write Peter off, shows how loyal Jesus is to his stumbled disciple. And I say to you this morning, if you are one of his disciples, if you are one of his blood-bought followers, then this is his loyalty to you as well. Jesus doesn't write off his people even when they've stumbled and even when they've fallen hard like Peter. He is loyal to us, this passage teaches us, even when we have been disloyal to him. He died for us, remember? so that our disloyalty might be covered, so that our rap sheets might be thrown out, so that we might be declared righteous in God's sight and have our sins forgiven. And having done all of that in order to deal with our sins, we can be sure that he is not going to renege on that forgiveness even when we have fallen hard. It is for our falling, whether hard or not so hard, it is for all of our stumbling and falling that he shed his blood. So maybe you're here this morning and you found yourself in recent days weeping bitterly with Peter over some way in which you have turned your back on the Lord. And I don't say that that weeping is a bad thing. We should grieve over our sins 
over the dishonor and the grief that they surely are to our Lord. And so, yes, weep when you have turned your back on Christ. But do not weep and do not tremble because you are afraid that He is going to turn His back on you. Do not fear that He will deny you even though you have temporarily denied Him. No. There are people, of course, to whom He will say in the last day, I never knew you, but none of them will be His elect. None of them will be His people whom He purchased dearly and who repented of their sins and who in the end really did love Him in spite of all the times when, like Peter in the moment, they loved themselves more. Jesus is far more loyal than we are. And if you've walked with Him for any length of time, you will have experienced that loyalty when after you went away from Him, you found Him coming to you again. Not with a whip, not with a series of accusations that wrote you off, but perhaps with some questions that, yes, forced you to look your sin in the face, but which also gave you to look into His face once again and reaffirm that you really do love Him. Maybe this sermon will be, for some of us, just such a loyal visitation from the Master to bring us back to Him once again. So that's the first thing today. Jesus' loyalty, coming to His disciples even when they have left Him, coming to Peter even, who had denied Him three times and giving Him opportunity three times to speak much differently. Jesus' loyalty. But then we need to notice in the second place this morning, Jesus' questions. We've looked at them, of course, already, but we need to look more closely again at Jesus' questions. We noticed earlier that Jesus does not come to Simon Peter with an accusation, but with a question repeated three times. And that was a mercy because it gave Peter a threefold opportunity to speak better than he'd done before. But we do need to notice now that the question, especially verse 17, because it was asked three times over, was not an easy question for Peter to hear. It's true, Jesus doesn't say, I can't believe you don't love me, Peter. But neither does Jesus just smooth this all over as though nothing has actually taken place or gone wrong. He doesn't come to him and say, hey, you know, Peter, I know you denied me, but since I know all things, verse 17, I also know you really do love me deep down. And so let's just not go there in terms of what happened that night in the priest's courtyard. Everything's forgotten. Jesus doesn't make it that easy, does he? He puts it to Peter rather as an open-ended question. Do you love me? That Peter will have to answer for himself. And indeed, that Peter really must answer. It was William Hendrickson in his commentary on this passage who helped me to see this, who helped me to see that Peter must make these reaffirmations of his love, that Jesus is requiring these answers of Peter. And it was Henderson's observation on this front which mercifully caused my sermon to fall flat last week and which opened up to me this second part of the sermon this morning because I had missed something that I now want to share. And I'm thankful for another chance like Peter got to get it right this time. Because I had seen last week as I was working on this passage, I had seen what I said under the first heading, namely that Jesus' threefold questioning of Peter was an opportunity an opportunity for Peter to speak better than he had done in his threefold denial. But Hendrickson helped me to see that it wasn't just an opportunity for Peter to speak better, it was a requirement that Peter had to speak better. Three times Peter had denied his master, Hendrickson wrote. Three times he must now own him as Lord. Three times he had denied 
his master, and three times he must now own him as his Lord. That sentence struck me because he didn't say three times Peter gets to own Jesus as Lord. That's true, I think, but it doesn't tell the whole story. Not only was this an opportunity for Peter, but this was a must in Hendrickson's word. Three times he must now own him as Lord. And that helped me to get at the tough love that Jesus is offering here. Peter needed to be reminded of his sin by means of these questions, and he needed to reaffirm his love for Christ. And so Jesus asked the question three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Not only to give Peter three opportunities to speak better than he'd done before, but also for Peter's threefold conviction so that Peter has to think about just how many times he actually denied his master. And thus, Jesus is eliciting from Peter this necessary threefold repentance this necessary threefold reaffirmation of his love. And so while we said earlier that Jesus does not write Peter off, yet neither does he sweep Peter's sins under the rug. His loyalty gives Peter opportunity, but his loyalty also requires Peter to face up to his sins. He puts these questions to him, yes, as an opportunity, but also to bring about conviction. And it's even interesting that Jesus asked Simon Peter in the first place in verse 14 whether he loves him more than these. And I think William Hendrickson is probably right here as well when he says that what Jesus means by more than these is, do you love me, Peter, more than these other disciples love me who are sitting here with us around the fire? Which is... Jesus' way of reminding Simon Peter, says Hendrickson, that he had actually talked like that not too many days since. He had actually talked like he loved Jesus more than these other disciples. You may remember when Jesus had spoken to his disciples about how they would all fall away from him, Peter's bold proclamation was that even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. But he had spoken rashly, hadn't he? Because he did fall away and he actually fell the hardest of all the 11 remaining disciples. And so Jesus here, with this first question, do you love me more than these? Do you really love me, Peter, more than your fellow disciples love me? With this first question, Jesus is laying his finger on the sort of pride in Peter's heart and on Peter's lips that we spoke about at the beginning today. And then, by his threefold repetition of the question, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me, Jesus is laying his finger also on Peter's threefold denial and requiring of him mercifully, needfully, a reaffirmation of his love. And this is the way that Jesus deals with us, too, who are his disciples today. He doesn't disown us because of our stumbling. He is loyal. But his loyalty doesn't mean he pulls punches. And indeed, it is because he is loyal to us and because in that loyalty he wants us to come to sure repentance and to reaffirm our love for him. It is because of this kind of loyalty to us that he doesn't sweep our sins under the rug, but instead requires us, sometimes like Peter, to have to answer some hard questions. That is why sometimes I hope you leave this meeting house feeling convicted maybe sometimes mercifully cornered by the Lord. 
Because it is the Lord who is speaking to us in his word. And because this Jesus who speaks to us from this book is the same Jesus who spoke to Peter. And Jesus has a habit for our own good of laying his finger on our sins and asking us some difficult questions and forcing us to face up to some things. Not to get a pound of flesh from us, but rather so that we might be brought to really see our sin and in seeing it, we might really repent of it and really reaffirm our love for him and experience the restoration that Peter does here. Peter was grieved that Jesus kept asking him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And you might sometimes be grieved when God, perhaps through the preacher or through a faithful Christian friend, keeps pressing you about your sin or questioning whether you really love him. But Peter needed Jesus to do this. Peter needed to express his love for Jesus the same number of times he had denied him, and we need that as well. And therefore, sometimes we need Jesus to keep probing us like he did with Peter, even when it's uncomfortable and either, even when we wish he would just stop. And when he does that, you must remember that his questions are born out of his loyalty. They are questions meant to convict and to bring you around, not accusations meant to write you off. He wants to see your sin not swept under the rug and undealt with, but repented of and overcome and left behind and replaced with new affirmations of your love for him. That's what is most honoring to him, and that's what's most healthy for you. And so Jesus' loyalty, which was our first heading, is behind the sometimes difficult questions, which we have been discussing under our second heading. And now thirdly, finally, we need to notice before we conclude Jesus' instructions. Jesus' instructions. Notice that commensurate with Jesus' loyalty to Peter, commensurate with his not writing Peter off, is the fact that he also, in this passage, calls Peter to service in his kingdom. He gives him a job to do, a calling. Three times Peter has denied Jesus. Three times he has now reaffirmed his love for Jesus. And three times, perhaps to state stamp this statement on Peter's mind as indelibly as the others, three times Jesus calls Peter to shepherd his flock. Tend my lambs, verse 15. Shepherd my sheep, verse 16. Tend my sheep, verse 17. Which is just a reminder that Jesus is not finished with us and we are not rendered useless to his service just because we've stumbled into sin. Not everyone is called to the same ministry as Peter, of course. Not everyone is called to be a shepherd, to be a pastor, elder. And those who are called to that, it's true, must meet certain character requirements as laid down elsewhere in the New Testament. And there are times when a man, because he no longer meets those requirements, should no longer shepherd Christ's sheep. But that's not the case here with Peter. Peter's sin has been great. Peter's fall has been hard. But Jesus still has a job for him to do as a shepherd of the sheep. And that's true in the big picture of you as well. Sometimes a fall of a certain kind, again, may mean that you or I are no longer qualified for certain forms of ministry. But the principle here still holds true, which is that even though Peter stumbled badly, Jesus did not wad him up and throw him away. He gave him kingdom work to do. And he has kingdom work for you to do as well, in spite of 
how hard you may have fallen in spite of your shortcomings, in spite of the foolish things you've done or said, in spite of your past. Jesus doesn't set aside his people as useless once they've experienced a significant stumble. Else the workers in his vineyard would be few and far between, wouldn't they? And so that's the first part of Jesus' instructions for Peter on this occasion of Peter's restoration, of Peter's reaffirmation of his love for Christ. Shepherd my sheep. And then the other piece of instruction that Jesus gives to Peter is that Peter must very straightforwardly follow Jesus. So many things are repeated in this passage, and this is no exception. Twice Jesus says it, follow me, verse 19. You follow me, verse 22. And notice the context of both of those. In verse 19, Jesus calls Peter to follow me after he has just explained to him that his life is going to be difficult and that he's going to end up on a cross. Verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Verse 19, Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he, namely Peter, would glorify God. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is, Peter... When you are old, you are going to be led against your will. You are going to be brought where you do not wish to go, and your hands are going to be stretched out end to end and nailed to the opposite sides of a cross. John tells us that's what Jesus is getting at here. And when he had spoken this, and when he had told Peter that he was going to die in this way, and when he had spoken this, verse 19, he said to him, follow me. In other words, follow me, Peter, all the way to the cross. Follow me even though it will mean stretching out your hands in crucifixion. Just like you've seen me do. And that's a strong challenge, isn't it? We might not all be called like Peter to follow Jesus literally to a cross, though some of us might be, or something similar. But many of us, may be called to follow Jesus to some other form of suffering. And we must go. We must follow this Savior who is a suffering servant and be his suffering servants. Yes, we have denied him, all of us in various ways, but he has died for us. And we have repented if we are true Christians. And we really do love him, I hope, like Peter did. And so let's follow him. Whatever the cost. And let's follow him too, even if God's path of providence in our lives may be different from that of some other Christians. I draw this from verses 20 to 22. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This is John, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, Peter is saying, well, you've called me to this difficult path. What about John? Jesus says, you don't worry about John. You follow me. C.S. Lewis has this great section in his Chronicles of Narnia in which Aslan tells one of the children who has come into Narnia and who, like Peter, is asking questions about someone else's life story, someone else's providence. 
there's this great section in which Aslan says to that child, I'm not telling you so-and-so's story. I'm telling you your story. I do not tell anyone anyone else's story except their own. Aslan, in other words, is not beholden to explain to one person his providential dealings with another. And I think that's what Jesus is saying to Peter here in verse 22. Maybe this is where Lewis got it. I'm not telling you John's story, Peter. I'm telling you your story. What happens with John? Where I lead John? How I lead John is not for you to know, Peter. It is sufficient for you to know, Peter, that I'm calling you to follow me. And so let's get going, Peter. You follow me. And that's a good word this morning. No matter what suffering may come to you because you follow Jesus, verse 18, and no matter how the paths of God's providence in your life may be different from those of others around you, you follow me, says your Lord. Don't deny him when the going gets tough. But follow him and affirm your love for him, no matter what else is going on around you. And verse 18, no matter how high the price may be, you follow me. And Peter now does so. Peter does so. After Peter's prior failure and after this repentance and reaffirmation and restoration here in chapter 21, Peter follows preaching mightily, serving faithfully, and dying just as Jesus told him he would in verse 18. Peter, after this encounter with Jesus and in the strength and the healing that it brought, Peter was able to follow Jesus with the Lord's help even to the end of his life when he was led to the place to which he did not want to go, when he was led to the place in which he had not been willing to go on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, now he goes. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, Peter denied Jesus rather than risk a cross with Jesus. But at a later time, by God's grace, Peter went all the way. And may it be for us that having stumbled and fallen like Peter, and having had our sins laid bare before our eyes like Peter, and having been brought to reaffirm our love for Christ like Peter, May it be like Peter that we will follow Jesus, that you will follow Jesus all the way yourself. He is worthy. He who died for us is worthy of being followed. And so consider his broken body. Consider his shed blood. And hear and heed his voice today. You follow me.